0: Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxmyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status.
1: Really, you do have a lot of useless knowledge up there in the head of yours.
0: All right, Shane, we, we've got a guest that you're familiar with. Uh, you know, he, he shares several things with you. She has a really good radio voice, right? Uh, you even share some DNA. I believe you guys are cousins, correct? Uh, we've got J.P. Roberts from J.P.'s Traffic Information, and uh, many people know that voice uh, from the radio with your traffic reports uh, and other things you're doing. How you doing, J.P.? I'm
1: doing good this morning, uh, just a little wet outside. Good for traffic, I guess, bad for drivers.
0: <laughs> well, um, you know, when we when Shane and I first talked about having you on, uh, I knew you, I, of course I knew you were akin to Shane, because we've been friends for a long time, but uh, I really didn't realize that you had the sports background that you do. And and so that was one thing that intrigued us. But before we get started with that, let's let's talk about what you do now. And kind of for those people who are listening to the podcast who may not know uh, what it is you do regularly, go ahead and fill us in.
1: Well, I um, spent 20 years in law enforcement. And when I retired from the Paducah Police Department, um, kind of was laying around one day and I got a phone call from Greg Dunker and Donna Groves at WKYX News Talk, um, offered me a job and the funny thing is I basically told him no thank you and hung up on him pretty much wasn't interested who does traffic, you know, this is Western Kentucky Paducah. And, um, so the phone rang again. They said, no, wake up and talk to us. So I talked to him for a little while. And, you know, I just retired. I would not I didn't want to get back up at 5 a.m. in the morning. You know, I'd been doing that for years. Um, so I went out and met with Gary Morse, uh, who has since passed. Uh, he had cancer and everything. And, you know, big loss for us. But, uh, uh, Gary and I worked it out. And, uh, I met with all the producers and people that were the big shots, I guess. And they all thought, you know, you can do this. And I'm like, I, I what? You know, I still couldn't believe it. So, Sat down with him, worked it out. The selling point came when Gary said, you can do this from home so the traffic center is actually in my home the mysterious and infamous whatever you want to call it is in my home and um i thought well that's pretty cool i don't have to get dressed and go out anywhere now i am dressed when i'm working so i don't want the visual out there of people thinking i'm sitting there in my underwear
0: you know that may have gotten us
1: more listeners shane yeah. um, although i have occasionally you know had to get up and do traffic in my pajamas but uh, it's a good job i actually had no idea that it was um uh is popular or people really benefited from it and I'd had uh, previous conversations um, with people about this whole traffic thing, and I found that it does help. And being in public service in the police department and doing things that sometimes are very beneficial and if you feel like you help someone, I have, in the time I've been doing this, learned that – A lot of people do enjoy knowing about an accident that's got I-24 backed up before they get stuck on it for a couple hours. So that's what I'm into now. I broadcast for Bristol Broadcasting uh, weekdays, mornings, and afternoons on WKYQ and uh, WKYX and
0: and I, I, can personally attest to, you know, I listen to you every morning coming into work. I, well, I go, thanks. yeah, I mean, it, it's part of my morning routine. Uh, I know just recently my wife has gone back to school to be a nurse. And so she has a commute from Gilbertsville to PCC, uh, every, or WKCTC, I, I guess is the new term for that school, but. Giving your age away,
1: calling it yeah.
0: Paducah Community College. But, you know, you just last week you saved my wife. Uh, you know, there was some trouble on I 24. I called her, uh, said, Hey, you need to find another way in. Uh, her JP, and he said, uh, You know, that there's trouble on I 24. And so she picked another route in. So, you know, that's something, you know, I, a lot of us don't have time in the morning to get up, surf the internet, try to figure out what's going on. So you do provide a, a very useful service well, uh, to the community. And, and, and I think it's, um, it's, it's, Very important, very vital. Also,
1: I get a kick out of when I hear someone tell me that, and especially if I walk in someplace and I hear this woman go, "Uh, "You're the first voice I hear in the morning." I'm thinking, "Oh." (laughs) So you know. Anyway, they call me the weather guy. It's okay. It's all weather and traffic. It, you know, the fact is, it it helps, and I'm glad it helps.
0: It's funny because at work, uh, when the guys come in, a lot of times when they do have to take different routes to work. I mean, that's. I know that's a big part of it, but probably even another part of it is uh you're kind of the conscious of the area from the standpoint of what our speeds are as i know i hear you mention a lot of times uh you might want to slow it down and that is a conscious reminder for folks to obey the law
1: absolutely you know keith todd uh, works for the transportation cabinet and one day we were talking and I made the comment. I said, you know, you just got to slow and go. And that's kind of become, you know, the thing that I say, yeah. slow and go. The previous uh, person that did traffic, uh, Kent King, which is uh, uh, the the previous uh, DJ out there with the radio station, he uh, he had a thing about rubbernecking. So every once in a while I use one of his old terms and talk about don't be rubbernecking when you come across that uh, accident scene. But, uh, you know, speed, that's a big problem. I, I, I too, have to watch it. I mean, I. Uh, I still have those cop tendencies to drive.
0: That's what I was going to say. And probably a, a pretty, you know, going from from your career as a police officer to traffic, it's kind of a natural, natural progression, isn't it? Because that's something
1: that police have to deal with, is traffic situations. Absolutely. The only problem is now I can't stop and get out and go up there and see what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, with, I work for the phone company, and, and that
0: is one, when, uh, whenever there's uh, something involving traffic issues that have to do with our telephone poles or different things, that is kind of neat. You do kind of get the inside skinny on what happened. Uh, I'll get out and put my vest on and go up there and check it out. So I'm sure there's chagrin but,
1: uh Well, the funny thing is, is now I have a media vest, and you know how policemen feel about media. And so I put this media vest on. I get out, and I walk up one day to one of these scenes because I was out and about and uh, I walked up there and, and the patrolman that it was sent we call it the perimeter, he uh, he looked at me and says, Sarge, you gotta stay on the opposite side now And I just looked at him and I said, That's all I need <laughs> <laughs> That's he awesome. had fun with that
0: oh I, I bet he did well uh well jp one of the things we wanted to talk to you about is uh you've got some interesting perspectives on sports and you know having been an athlete and then later as a coach uh before we really got started this morning we kind of got talking a little bit about baseball some some of your earlier um younger um enterprises in, in sports but
1: what got you into sports what are your earliest recollections you know, and we were talking earlier about a place called Barkley Park, which was a baseball field. They had one softball, three baseball fields. And,
0: and it was located out kind of where the executive end. It's inn.
1: where the executive end used to be. They uh, tore down the fields, and the old train used to be down there uh, at Barkley Park, and there was a, a swimming public swimming pool and a big park a tennis court and a picnic area and all that. It was a, It was a park. My dad was a, a ball player, and uh, I used to hear stories of him talking about playing football and basketball at Old Franklin High School. And, and some folks will. So, dad was athletic. Uh, I had two younger brothers, and I, I grew up in a neighborhood where you went and you played ball. You know, Shane, my cousin there, was my favorite uh, wide receiver when we would have our Turkey Day Thanksgiving football games in Brewers, Kentucky. I'd go, go deep and turn left, Shane. And, um, you know, I would. Was he able to catch the ball? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shane was good at. We had it, We could throw it. But anyway, we um, I got into sports on my own just because I played with neighborhood kids, and you know we played basketball, we played football, uh, not tag. We tackled, knocked the daylights out of each other, and but baseball was our thing. You know, one kid was playing, had a uniform on one day, and it was at church, and I went, "Where do you get those costumes?" Now, really, guys, I was only probably seven, eight years old, mm-hmm. and I I, I had an I, I thought baseball was only something you saw on TV. You know, um, so I wanted to, I wanted a uniform and I went to a yard sale and bought one that said Lindsay's funeral home. Wow. <laughs> Paid about a dollar for it. And I wore it to play sandlot ball. And then one Which guy, put you on high on the pecking order at Sandlot Ball, right? Oh, you had I, a uniform. I became the, the captain of the team instantly. <laughs> and, yeah, you know, we could play anywhere. We could play in the street. Mm-hmm. Kids in New York play stickball. We could play in the street. We could play, you know, if we had just a little bit of grass, we'd play there. We'd, we'd try to make our own field. But that's what got me in sports. That was my first experience. And, uh, you know, my dad wasn't really involved with me at this point because I was kind of on my own doing this. And then I got on a baseball team. And I remember I was in, on a minor league team called the Arrow Termites Controller. Or something like that. I started playing ball, and I wasn't any good compared. Not for organized ball. Um, I was one of those kids that you put in left field. He gets to bat once. You know, you get the bat when it's your turn. But uh, the first year wasn't very good. And I noticed one time my dad was in the stands. He came to watch, and that was, you know, you always want to, you know, get dad involved and. All of a sudden, my dad's now involved in sports with me. The next year, I moved up to a higher level in the league. The next step did a little better, but still wasn't where I wanted to be. And then the last two years, I was in Barkley Park, which was 11- and 12-year-old. Uh, dad coached me as the team. He was became the team coach. And was that that was Little League, correct? Little League, yeah. That which, was, uh, which
0: left Paducah a long time
1: ago. That was John Shepard's uh, Little League down there. He ran it. There was a police, the Police Club, Zambos, uh, Coca-Cola, Pex 10 Shop. Those are the teams that were there in you know they were powerhouses and, and good players. Uh, but anyway, we um, we got on the, we got a team and had a bunch of kids. Dad went out and found some kids to play. We all found kids that played. But they were, you know, mixing the whites and the black kids together in baseball at that age was still fairly new because we're talk we're just barely talking the seventies, like 71, uh, seventy. The uh, the team was okay. I made the all star team that year, and then the next year our team was really good. So that was and so at, all of a sudden athletics and. You know, having my dad coach me, and this is as an adult. This really uh, it taught me a lot about how I would be as a, as a parent later on in coaching. Uh, to be honest, my dad was overbearing and hard. He was a good guy, but you know, when you're the when you're the uh, coach's son, good isn't good enough. Yeah.
0: Because, you you know, we've talked about this on some other podcasts. Uh, ideally, the coach's kid is the best player because if he's not the best player and he's the worst player and he plays, you're going to get a lot of yin you know,
1: from parents and so forth. So It just wasn't good enough that you would hit a home run. You, you know, you should have pitched a perfect game. Or, not really, but he wanted you to do well, and uh, he really was hard. I mean, baseball didn't end when the game was over. When we would go home, I would get critiqued. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, you know, having a parent involved is good, but, you know, it's a different day and time. And I see a lot of parents today that, you know, get involved in coaching their kid, and I wonder if that's really the best thing for them. Because with me, it helped, but it also brought some some hard times, too, you know, because it did become almost like an event at home that, you know, my mom would say, well, just, get, you know, give him a break, you know. And I think you can drive him a little too hard, but I did excel, under my
0: dad well and don't you know i think a lot of that too is the kids personalities because i had a dad a lot like yours now he wasn't my coach but as far as in baseball but that ride home the critiques you know and i was the i was a pleaser and so when i took those critiques i took them to heart and and i excelled and you know and you talk about you excelled so i think for some kids maybe that's you know it's a positive uh, but for some, it could obviously be a negative. But for you and I, it sounds like we had a lot of the same experience. You
1: know, our our male uh, models or role models then were people who probably had been in the army or military. You had the the Vietnam era; they were they really probably had been in that. Grandfathers were probably either in Korea or World War II. There were no participant trophies back then. You either won or you lost, yeah. and second place just means you were. You lost. Yeah, first loser. And, right? and so there was winning and losing. You know, that mattered. Like I said, that's what got me into it. It continued into the Pony League where you actually just had to try out. You couldn't just go out there and get on a team. There were kids who were told, well, you know, you didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So what do they do? They, haven't, they can't play. So, you know, it's not always been a given in the past that you could just play. And nowadays you got all this travel ball and if you don't make the travel teams, you don't play. Yeah. So then from baseball it, it transitioned to youth league football because I noticed that I had friends playing football and I'm like, Hey, that looks pretty cool. So I went and gotten that and did some church league basketball and um just just it, it just took off. But I think what I got out of sports early on was, you know, this this drive to want to do better or to do More. It gave me a little bit of ambition, uh, a lot of discipline. You you can play, you know, baseball and football and basketball, all the team sports uh, are great, but in some sports like baseball, one guy really can win the game. He really can. A pitcher can shut the team out, and the pitcher can bat once and hit a home run. And there's and he really can win that game by himself. Then you've got someone has to catch. It, but really, like I said, it it, it is amazing sport. You brought up a point that we have never explored here that
0: I think is a fantastic point. And after you said it, and as I'm sitting there thinking about it, it's it's a fantastic point. You know, our era, the the era we grew up in, a lot of our coaches were veterans of the different wars. And like you talk about, everything you said, my father's a veteran of the Vietnam War. Uh, my granddad was a veteran of World War II. And so, you know, discipline in that era was pretty strict. And the majority of men really had been uh, veterans, whereas you probably don't see that as much today uh, with the kids. And, and I think that may be, too, uh, one of the differences in – in in the coaches that are coaching kids, and maybe, you know, they talk about the athletes are different these days, but maybe it's that the coaches are different these days.
1: Oh, the coaches are because, you know, most of those men were drafted into the military, some volunteered. Uh, now there's, there hasn't been a draft since, you know, what, the late 60s or early 70s, somewhere in there. And the military does bring with it a, a whole different discipline in life. Sports, to me, if I hadn't been an athlete at all and played in any sports, I think my life would have been a little different because it it, kind of gives you a personality, an attitude, not a bad one, a good one, a drive to excel and do better. Challenge yourself.
0: Yeah, a lot of the lessons that you learned, you know, as an athlete, you know, I'm sure carried over into your career later, right? Uh, You know, in the police discipline, is is a large part of it.
1: I went to Paducah-Tillman. My dad always wanted me to go to Tillman, and if I was going to be decent in football or athletics he wanted me at Tillman and I got my early roots in football under Jack Ashkins and well actually Rodney Bashan. out at Heath went out and played seventh grade football out there very good basic program taught me a lot but what I got out of all that was uh, all through the the junior high and high school it takes a lot of discipline to want to do those things when you can just go and do something else in the afternoon. You can work on buying a car, you know, going out with a girlfriend, get you a job at, you know, McDonald's or Burger King or somewhere. You know, you do other things. You have a little more money in your pocket. You know, you, maybe cars are your thing. And and a lot of a lot of guys, that's what they did. But the guys that went into athletics especially, and, of course, you know, Peter Tillman back in the day, was it in football and baseball and basketball they were they were really tough across the board um had a huge uh student body to draw you know from a pool of kids but i had a coach that i, I give him a lot of credit for shaping who i became later in life he's like that first drill sergeant you get in the military or something uh he He instilled basic fundamentals of honor, discipline, respect, teamwork, all these things that we had to have. You know, he he was very inspirational. This guy was a motivator. Dan Dan
0: Haley. Dan Haley. And
1: and Alan Cox was the assistant coach. Dan, um, he had stories that he could motivate you to run through a brick wall. And Coach Cox could scare you to death that you would have to run through that brick wall. Because Coach Cox, see, we all had stories on him that he was in Vietnam. So, you know, you got to watch out for those guys. (laughs) You know, they might – they might not know, know that you're on the friendly side. But just kidding, Coach. Yeah. But um, well, You know, it's funny you bring that
0: up. We interviewed Randy Wyatt uh, a while back, and uh, and Randy shared a lot of the same stories about Coach Cox, about how when you would go into his office to ask him a question, you you would ask and maybe step back because you didn't know, you know, what was coming back from it. So
1: it's funny that you guys tell that story. Oh, I, I can tell you story after story. After. Dan Haley was the ultimate motivator. He, talked, uh, he came and sat down. At my house with my parents, he would go to all the incoming uh, back then it was a three year high school. He would come to your home and meet with your parents and talk about the commitment that that your son is getting ready to go through, and that he wants them to understand what he's going to expect of your child and how he's going to take care of it. he's going he told my parents he would take care of me he would protect me for, you know uh, but he had expectations I had to be home at night I couldn't be out after nine o'clock I had to make my grades I had to go to class on time I had to be a role model I had to be an, I couldn't just do things that other people could do because when you were a football player or athlete under Dan Haley's you know charge at Tillman there was a lot of um, a lot of pride in what you did and and he demanded that you behave a certain way and All the guys I played with, we become like a band of brothers, just like in the military. You know, when you when you all these guys that go off and serve, they have a bond between them. And athletics is very similar when you get a group of people on a team working for the same goal, same cause that suffer, you know, setbacks, but ultimately succeed. Then there's a sense of pride and ownership of that contrary to popular belief Dan Haley was very much a disciplined and uh, like a father figure you talk about that and one one common
0: theme that that seems to run through the co- the the coaches and the players that we've talked to is that word caring. They cared about me. I, I, you know, they were demanding, they were disciplinarians, but at the end of the day, that caring seems to be the, the one thread that goes through all successful coaches that the, the players get a sense that they did care about me.
1: Absolutely. And they take it beyond the game They take it beyond. Okay. How many wins do we have this year? They talk to you at least our coaches did, you know, we had, we felt like we had to uphold the tradition of Tillman football. I mean, it, it, we couldn't let everyone down. You know, you're going to give it all you got. Thing is, that's that's how I approach my life in terms of what I've done with it. Um, you know, I knew I would succeed at certain things because I knew I just couldn't give up. That's the thing that that you can get out of athletics, you know, whether you're, you know, male or female, if you, you have that same basic core principles, you're going to work as a team, you're going to be disciplined, you got each other's back. Uh, when you go outside of that, Our coaches, or at least Coach Haley was very good, too, at something he taught me And later on when I became a coach. uh, I I learned it pretty quick. You have to know your own limits as a coach. You have to be trained to do a job or trained to, to, to do what it is that's asked of you. You have to be willing to do it. And if you can't put those things together, if you don't know what you're doing, you can be willing to do it all you want or eager to do it, but you're going to fail. And evaluating people that play or work for you It's the same whether you work for a business or you're a pro team, you know, pro team in football or something, personnel. You have to know what they can do and get the right person in the right job. I knew I wasn't going to be a quarterback too short too slow you know back then high school linemen were 5'10 was okay but you know quarterbacks in college need to be six foot or better you know so i knew where i was i knew my own abilities and my limits and once i learned that then it was much easier for me to find my way through it one thing probably coach haley was good at was you know,
0: you talked about training them and and going through that. He, he taught you your role, correct? He he told you what your role. Your role maybe wasn't to do this, but was to do this. Is it was that a key component? You as well? know,
1: he was a um, a statistician. He taught math. It was like a battle plan, and I I had never seen anything like this in my life when I went into high school football. We had these playbooks, and it was mesmerizing just to watch Coach Haley get on a chalkboard and start diagramming you know those x's and o's and the plays and coach haley always had plays that required linemen to do more than just hit the guy in front of them and it seems like the guard position was always being asked to pull and go down the line somewhere and find a not just hit one guy try to hit another guy and uh you know although i, I you know like i said i didn't always succeed there's times i failed and i had some injuries along the way and but uh, overall, you know, we ended up being state champions my senior year, and all the guys still, you know, we see each other. We, we know we have that. We just look at each other and know. Now, what year was that? Uh, that was 1984, a state champion. Okay. Yep. Back then, you played a state championship, and then they had a at-large champion, and that's what we were because mm-hmm. you didn't go in and play the Louisville schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were 13-0, and and uh, it was um, – and then we played Trinity, and that wasn't a good ending, but uh, –
0: you well, know. Trinity had a little uh, larger recruiting base, we well, shall see, say. Well, had
1: you had four classifications, and then you had Louisville. Yeah. And for some reason back then, they decided that, you know, the Louisville champion would play the state champion, and then they'd have an overall. Mm-hmm. But, you know um, – so it was interesting how they did that. They broke it all up since then. The funny thing is is a lot of the, the guys I played with, we always laugh because uh, you don't know, the old field house at Tillman was a small little building under the stadium. And our senior year, they started building a new, bigger field house, which they've enjoyed for years now. And uh, we often joked about how that that field house was built on the backs of our sweat and blood. And uh, we had probably a better team our junior year but see, back then you could only go to the playoffs if you won the division outright. Oh. And our, our 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 district, rather, our district consisted of Bowling Green, Madisonville, Hopkinsville, Christian County, and Owensboro. Senior, and you didn't if you lost a game, mm-hmm. you didn't go nowhere. They yeah. didn't let you go to playoffs. Uh, and we had beaten everybody on our schedule our junior year, and we went in to play Bowling Green, and we had a down night, and we lost. I think it was thirteen to six or seven, something close like that. We just nobody could get it together. You know, we we would have beaten them by 20 points in the other night. Mm-hmm. But we really felt like we had a stronger team then. We had uh, Lawrence Choo-Choo Lee. Um, we had Michael Thomas, who's – but see, there really weren't any, like, big names. Because yeah. we were really probably average kids motivated to achieve greater things. Yeah. I mean, we had some track stars on our team. Uh, Jeff Pope was one of the fastest guys I've ever seen, run like a deer. Uh, we played Shelbyville. Um, high in a in a semi championship game, up in Shelbyville, all night long, I kept having to help block a guy named Charles Hurt. Remember him? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I am sure you remember him as well. <laughs> all I know is he was big and he was strong. Yeah,
0: and um, probably you know. In fact, uh, I've heard a lot of people at UK that are kind of in the know say he's probably the strongest basketball player you ever play at UK.
1: Uh, he was something else. And, you know, we rolled into Shelbyville thinking, you know, we would win pretty easily because we had beaten everybody pretty easily in that year. And um, we 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 really took it on the chin. Those guys came out and hit us. You know, Coach Cox had come up with a scheme on defense to shut their offense down, which we did pretty good. Our offense wasn't going anywhere either. We squeaked out a drive for a touchdown, but – it was a tough game. Yeah. It was kind of like that famous Madisonville-Tillman game back in the 73 where they won two to nothing on a safety. And that, you have to go to Tillman to know all these old things.
0: Yeah. But well, was, we, we actually have the Tillman – we have a Tillman record book that Randy White brought us. Oh,
1: it's amazing.
0: It's a history of – a hundred-year history of Tillman
1: football. Well, all I know is if you think about it, 1973, and I saw some film footage of that football team. And, and, and we watched <laughs> – the, the footage I saw, Coach Haley was showing us one time, where that they snapped the football. And the offensive line had such a surge that he fumbled the ball two yards forward. quarterback was able to step two yards forward and pick it up. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a line surge. So, you know, a lot of teams are measured by greatness. And, you know, we left out something I really, I really wanted to throw out there at you about baseball. How when they went to a four-year high school, they brought freshmen into the program. Huh. Two freshmen played my senior year. Guess who they were?
0: I, I guarantee I know who they are. Terry Shumpert and Steve Finley, correct? You, know,
1: you get Terry Shumpert and Steve Finley. Now, I would seen these kids. They were – young guys playing. Um, they're not that much younger than me, but anyway, I saw them you know, come up through the league, and I was always like four years older than them, so when they came in to the high school at, as a freshman, and here I'm an outgoing senior, and I'm like, oh wow, these guys are pretty good. You know, yeah. Understatement. Now, they, did they start as freshmen? You know, they they actually broke into the lineup very quick. I, I think uh, family started in center field almost immediately, or, or one of those outfield positions. I know Arthur Lee played center field too, and then Shumpert uh, came in and, and broke in and played too um but they also did a little pitching and you know they they were really good um as freshmen they were probably as good as any any junior or senior we had around so it it says with them both going on to professional careers
0: well having said that did you have an inkling that they would become the ball players they became
1: everybody thought that terry Schompert would be the greatest one of the two um and that he would have a shot to make it in the bigs but what steve finley did was just awesome and and i understand from what i know and i know steve personally too is he went to siu i believe and he worked himself into a great ball player yeah. He worked at it, and I think the criticism on Terry was: is he just he had all the talent, he just didn't work as hard.
0: You know, we interviewed Doc Heidegg. he's been on the podcast, and I know uh, well. you know Doc, and and uh, that's one thing I know he talked about. Steve, you know, is that Steve really really worked hard. And uh, one of my old Legion uh, assistant coaches was Dave Henley from Carlisle County, who played with Steve at SIU, and he said that to, he's told me privately the thing about Steve was when practice was over. Steve was the guy that grabbed you and said, Hey, throw me another bucket of balls. Throw me can I get another bucket? Can I get a he's each out there as long as you would throw to him and, and just the work ethic, you know. I
1: mean he had the, the physical skills of the arm strength and the, the agility to run and catch. But and, and of course, you know, in the majors you got have you gotta bat, you gotta hit. And you know, when you hit practice, you know, six or seven hundred bats a week or whatever he was doing adds up yeah so now talk
0: about your baseball career too who was your high
1: school your baseball coach coach, in high coach school? troutman, Bob okay. troutman. Yeah. um my sophomore year not much a whole lot to talk about i played a little bit but i was in behind john hudson who was a senior outgoing catcher and i certainly wasn't up to you know taking his job away from him and then my junior year i broke in and junior senior year i was the starting catcher uh coach troutman um he uh, had a lot of talent in those two years in baseball. We had some really – you know, Jeff Fox, you might remember him. He came up – he was a little younger, but he came up, and, he, and of course, we had Ira Fitzgerald, and he could throw. You know, we had some guys that had some heat. We were, weren't bad. In my senior year, we were pretty good. Well,
0: what are your memories of Coach Troutman, or what What did you take away from having play played for him? I think,
1: I think Coach Troutman was very disciplined. Um, he was very old-school baseball. He wasn't like – the whitey herzog type of coach you know uh where you just you just flying around on the bases uh he controlled everything i i always thought that you know that you just went out there and called the pitches and nope <laughs> <laughs> every pitch is called from the bench didn't know that going into high school of course you know i'm a catcher so i'm watching the signals and Making sure I get them right, but David Ruth was another one I got through out there. He was an assistant coach, yeah. And of course, being a Ruth, he was he was very good because he worked with the pitchers a lot. I had more interaction with him on on the coaching level because you know, being a catcher, you got to work with all the pitchers. You're, you're catching every pitcher through you know both pre, both preseason and in the season. But Coach Trotman was just that steady, yeah, very calm, very calm. My,
0: you know, he he was still around coaching when I played, and that's the thing. I've just been around him a little bit. He was. Very even keeled, uh, didn't get too high. Fundamentals, too low. Hmm. fundamentals,
1: fundamentals, basic. Uh, you know, and he always had pretty good teams, and always seems to find a way to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just depends on who you run up against. St. Mary's at that time, because St. <laughs> Mary's seemed to have all those Quigley and Roof boys coming through there. And you know, we we played summer leagues together, and, and uh, you know, those guys were good. You've been listening to part one to Dax's interview with J.P. Roberts. To hear the rest of the interview, click on the part two at DaxMyHand.com.
0: If you enjoyed the podcast, which, why wouldn't you? You're listening to The Legend. Tell somebody about it. Well, what need you to do is you share it on your Facebook and then get your friends to share it.
1: Or you've been listening to Dax My Hand, The Legend.